Welcome. You are listening to the Park Avenue Synagogue Podcast, and this is Rabbi Elliot Cosgrove. While it's better to hear it live, this is a place to catch the latest sermon, conversation, and select program. If you like what you're hearing or want to learn more about our community, check out PASYN.org. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts to get a notification for our next episode. Enjoy and see you in shul. Shabbat shalom. If you are looking to make sense of the seismic shift that has taken place in Israel's Knesset this past month, then a good point of reference would be the events surrounding Israel's elections of 1984. As Professor Shaul Magid explains in his fabulous new book, after two failed attempts to win a seat in the Knesset, Mayor Kahana was elected to the Knesset with one seat as leader of his Kach party. For those unfamiliar with Mayor Kahana and his political thought, and have yet to listen to my interview with Professor Magid on PAS Podcasts, not only did Kahana reject the idea that Israel could be both a Jewish and democratic state, but his political platform included, but was not limited to, a prohibition against communion with non-Jews, a mandatory prison sentence for any Arab who had sexual relations with a Jewish woman, and a call to all Israeli Arabs uh, to strip them of their citizenship and expel any who refused to relinquish it. So outrageous were Kahana's politics that even then Likud Prime Minister Yitzhak Shamir himself a radical militant in pre-state Palestine, refused to allow Kahana into the coalition. So contemptible was Kahana's platform that the Knesset made the unprecedented decision to amend the country's basic laws to bar racist candidates, an amendment that rendered Kahana's Kach party illegal. Kahana appealed to the Israel Supreme Court and was denied, thus barring him from running again and putting an end to his political career. Kahana was killed in 1990. His ideology, and to this point we shall return, did not die. The activities of the offshoot Kahana Chai, Kahana Lives, continued, ranging from graffiti proclaiming Kahana Tzedak, Kahana was right, to most horrifically, the massacre of 29 Palestinian Muslim worshippers at Hebron's Cave of the Patriarchs in 1994. All of which, I would ask, you keep in mind as we turn our attention now to last month's election. Despite the fact that the margin of votes in the popular vote between the pro-Netanyahu camp and the anti-Netanyahu camp was a narrow 30,000 votes, the Knesset coalition, to put it mildly, has undergone a rightward shift. With a December 21st coalition deadline looming, Netanyahu has doled out a series of portfolios and promises in order to cobble together 
the 60-plus seat majority needed to govern. In no particular order, Avi Maoz of the far-right Noam party who campaigned on a platform against LGBT rights in favor of conversion therapy, increased gender separations, and declarations equating non-Orthodox Judaism with forces of darkness, received one seat. Unlike Kahana, however, Maoz and his platform was not outlawed. He was awarded the Ministry of Jewish Identity, a portfolio overseeing all of Israel's informal Jewish education. Arya Derry, the leader of the Shas party, is slated to become interior health minister or both, assuming, of course, legislation can be passed to allow Derry, who received a suspended sentence for tax fraud, to actually serve a ministerial post. As of writing this sermon, no agreement has been reached between Netanyahu and United Torah Judaism, but their list of demands includes everything from blanket exemptions for the ultra-Orthodox from military service, banning all non-Orthodox prayer at the Western Wall, and barring the production of electricity on Shabbat. As for Betzalel Smotrich of the Religious Zionist Party, a man who has called for segregated Arab and Jewish maternity wards, who has recalled Reform Judaism a fake religion, who as recently as last month fueled conspiracy theories regarding the assassination of Yitzchak Rabin of blessed memory, and who has called for the dismantling of Israel's law of return, Smotrich has been promised a ministry within the defense ministry that arguably makes him de facto prime minister of the West Bank. To round it all out, Otzma Yehudit's leader, Itamar Ben-Gvir, a man who has referred to Mayor Kahana as his mentor, who has been arrested for incitement, who until recently had a picture of the perpetrator of the Hebron massacre on his wall, who shortly before Rabin's assassination ripped the hood ornament off the prime minister's car, declaring we got his car, we'll get to him too, and who in the weeks since the election attended a memorial honoring Mayor Kahana. Not only has Ben Gavir been given the National Security Ministry with oversight over police, but he has been awarded the portfolio with powers far exceeding the system of checks and balances aimed at assuring that politics never colors the decisions of the police. There's much more to say. I haven't even touched on the proposed override bill that could fundamentally undermine Israeli democracy. Every day there seems to be a jarring new headline. There is no shortage of analysis on who is to blame for the collapse of Israel's center-left, on squaring the circle of the divided popular vote and the rightward swing of the Knesset coalition, on whether it is coalition politics or the prospect of criminal prosecution that is prompting Netanyahu to make each deal, and whether this is indeed a political earthquake or just a formalization of a process which, like the U.S. Supreme Court's decision on abortion, has been a long time in coming. All of these things are and will continue to be debated, but the headline is clear. 
not only has the once outlawed anti-hero ideology of Kahana been legalized, sanitized, and mainstreamed, but the ideological heirs of the ultra-nationalist, xenophobic, anti-democratic, and violent movement have been given the keys to the castle. Kahana, it would seem, is alive and well and sitting in the Knesset. I thought long and hard about what to say, if anything, this morning. Better, perhaps, to stay behind the scenes, to work quietly to effectuate change, not air the dirty laundry of the Jewish people in public. Rabbi, your job is to get people to love Israel, not question it. And if you, the rabbi of Park Avenue Synagogue, criticize Israel, then does that not provide cover to the anti-Zionists and anti-Semites to unleash their unchecked vitriol against the Jewish state and the Jewish people? You don't live in Israel. You don't vote there or serve there. Stick to what you know. Talk to your Jews about Kanye and Kyrie, not Kahana. Be our diaspora cheerleader if it makes you feel good, but keep your criticisms of Israel, please, to yourself. And while I acknowledge and openly name the arguments that would counsel me otherwise, for the sake of Zion, I cannot be silent. Why? First and foremost, because I love Israel. I love Israel because it's the national Jewish home. I love Israel because it's home to half of world Jewry. I love the half of the Israeli electorate whose politics I, with whom I agree and while I may not like the other half and they, me, I do love them. I vociferously object to the emerging policies of Israel's government in formation, but no different than my objections to the policies of this or that American administration are understood to be expressions of my American patriotism, so too in the case of Israel and my Zionism. If anything, my defense of Israel in the face of its detractors becomes more, not less forceful, in my acknowledging Israel's shortcomings, in distinguishing between half of Israel's population and the circus taking place in Israel's Knesset. Silence comes with a cost. If we learn nothing from this morning's story of Joseph, we learn the pitfalls of excessive coddling. Had Jacob called his son Joseph out to self-correct rather than persist in his excesses, they might not have thrown Joseph into the pit in the first place. American Jews do not vote in Israel, but our silence has served as an enabler. Leaders lead in their support and in their calls to self-correct when it's popular and easy and perhaps especially when it is not. 2022 has been the deadliest year for Israelis and Palestinians in a long time. Over 30 Israelis and 150 Palestinians have been killed, with some saying the Third Intifada has already begun, we just haven't named it as such. There is no shortage of blame to go around. The divisions, failures, and incendiary words and actions of the Palestinians are well known to us all but we must resist pointing to their shortcomings in order to avoid turning the mirror onto ourselves. There is a correlation between vitriol and violence, between hatred and hopelessness.
Why must we speak out? Because as May of 2021 taught us all, no matter the progress of the Abraham Accords, the world of Israeli Jews and Palestinian Israelis is a tinderbox waiting to be set aflame by a single match. No different than Israelis protesting on the streets of Tel Aviv every Saturday night. We must speak out because we love Israel, because we pray for Israel's safety, and because we work towards securing Israel's long-term well-being. I fear for the short, medium, and long-term effects of an Israel that does not acknowledge American Jews as Jews, an Israel whose elected officials would not deign to enter our synagogue, an Israel whose government is passing legislation that is actively severing the connection between future diaspora Jews and the Jewish state. I fear the time, a time which is now, when the expressed values of the elected arms of the Jewish state run contrary to the values I hold most dear as a Jew, a time when I will be asked to choose between my Jewish values and my support for Israel. I fear for the time in the not too distant future when a generation of Jews come of age who have been told explicitly and implicitly that their Judaism is not Judaism, that their rabbis are not rabbis, that they are not Jews, and be it good times or bad, Israel comes calling for support, and that call is left unanswered. I'm speaking out now because I care about the well-being of Israel and the well-being of American Jewry's relationship with Israel. Since day one, I have made it clear that for me personally and for our synagogue as a whole, Jewish identity goes hand in hand with Israel engagement. It's why this week we are sending three busloads, over 100 people to Israel, and why we're gonna do so again in June. It's why our spring programming will aim to celebrate, embrace, and engage Israel as it turns 75. I am leaning in, I am all in, but I'm sounding the alarm. Rabbis are supposed to have answers. Today, I know I don't have them. Today is meant to be the first word, not the final word. We have entered into a new chapter for Israel, for American Jews, and for the relationship between the two. And for those of us who love Israel, who are invested in the relationship, which I hope all of us are, we need to face our new reality, speak openly and candidly of our present dilemma, as a congregation, as families, as a New York Jewish community, as individual Jews, and we need to chart out our path forward together. Tomorrow evening, Jews in America, in Israel, and around the world will kindle their Hanukkah lights. For some, the miracle of Hanukkah goes back to the spark of every Jewish soul, not by might and not by power, but by spirit alone the radiant light of Jewish life to be shared with the world around. For others, it's just the opposite. The militant might of the Maccabees will be recalled, how our forebearers withstood the attacks and allure of the Hellenized world, standing firm in their belief and defeating the enemy from without and within. The light of our people is fueled by different stories. The story 
the secret to Jewish survival differing from Jew to Jew and from place to place. And yet, no matter who we are and where we are, we need to remember that we all light the same candles, recite the same blessings, and remember the same miracle of the oil that lasted well beyond what anyone thought possible. As in days of old, so too in our own. This Hanukkah, I pray for light in these dark times and that the shared light of our people shines brightly and the miracle of our people is carried forward. Shabbat Shalom. Thank you for listening to the Park Avenue Synagogue Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and want to learn more about our community, check out PASYN.org. See you in shul. Hallelujah.